Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty For Her, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. We're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty for Her. Today, you have a special treat. You get to listen to, for the first time, one of our uh, former, I wish I could remember the episode number. I'll have to go back and put that in the show notes. Do you remember, Jessica? I don't know. I don't. I think it's one of the early ones. It was. It was one of our very first episodes, and we introduced Jessica Cummingor, now Jessica Cummingor Donay. And we talked a lot about her branding and graphic design company and her history as a designer. Now we're talking to her during this season of pivoting about a new project that she started and then going back to her work in design and branding. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this conversation and you'll have to listen to the old one so you can get them back to back. Jessica, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Netta. It's a pleasure. So why don't you give us a little bit of background for context sake? What is Marbury and what is, I think we can sort of figure it out, but what is pizza donut? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So Marbury, I guess since we last spoke, Marbury is the design studio, design and branding and consulting should be more specific, um, studio that I launched at the end of 2017, not long after we chatted. It's essentially a one-woman studio. I do bring in support kind of depending on the project, but it's just me. Um, And Pizza Donay is the mom-and-pop pizzeria that my husband Justin and I opened in Portland at the end of 2019. So I think if I were to break it down, it's sort of Marbury is my business and Justin has Pizza Donay, but there's a lot of support happening, crossing over both ways. (laughs) Yeah, I think I had mentioned to you that... It's sort of like Pizza Donay is a client of Marbury at this yeah. point. Yeah, I hope he's a good client. I hope he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you've since moved, I think I want to point out too. When we met, you were here in LA and you've since moved. Tell us a little bit about what prompted that move. Yeah, moved from LA to Portland. So I'm a native Angelino and had been there my whole life. And Justin and I had talked for years about life beyond LA and we're really both ready it's kind of insane when I look at the timeline. We got married in November, moved in February, signed a lease on a business within a few weeks, opened the following November, pandemic in, in March. It was, it's just been one sort of crazy thing after the next. But I think by the time we decided on Portland, I had sort of hit a wall with design and 
burnt out is probably the best way to describe it. I was really craving so much change. I had been working in design since I was 18. I had been working for myself since I was 24. At this point, I was 31 and really feeling that sort of what's next itch. Mm. I think I was craving like not only an environmental change, but life change, work change and knew once we landed here, I was probably going to pull back from Marbury. At that point, I'd sort of completed all the client projects I was working on and just needed some space. Meanwhile, Justin had been working towards this goal of opening a pizzeria. He'd been craving a career change. And since 2016, I would say, had been working steadily towards that. But it was never an involvement. It was always like a supportive role, I would say, I was playing and, and definitely his pursuit. But once we got up here and I was sort of taking a breather, we started looking at spaces together. And it was actually the first one I went with him to look at, ended up being the one that we signed a lease on. Yeah. And and the involvement (laughs) kind of started there. When you were working in design in L.A., were you starting to think about, I think I need a break? Or was Portland the thing that prompted the break? What was the thing that kind of led to, because the pizza for you became a filler to that. But what was the thing that initially made you go, I just need, I just need a minute. I need to take a beat. It's interesting. I sort of look at Marbury 1.0 as the version we're talking about here. And the one I'm returning to now is Marbury 2.0. It's interesting to look back on, because I think when we originally spoke, it was this desire to build something beyond myself, Mm. um, go from sort of the freelance graphic designer to running a studio. But still probably had some pretty limiting thoughts around what I could do, what I was capable of growing a team, directing a team, and did have support upon launching Marbury, but still was doing the bulk of the work myself. And I don't think I fully understood what that looked like to build Mm -hmm. something beyond me working in it so much for the so many years prior that the projects got bigger, the budgets got bigger, the timelines got longer, but it was still... Yeah, it just burnt me out doubly, I would say, yeah, is yeah. is what happened. And in hindsight, it was a pretty short-lived launch to this realization with Marbury. I think it just it needed a recalibration, kind of reprioritize. What was my goal here? What did I mm-hmm. want long-term? A hard reset, I would say, is the only way I can really identify it. When you think about 1.0 and 2.0, what would you say are maybe three distinctions as you go back into this space? I think there's sort of three. Yeah, it is threefold. Um, One, I feel more confident and rooted in my values than I ever have. Mm. And more of a feeling of belonging in this world that I think looking back, I wanted so much. I viewed growth and change as taking this crazy departure outside of this world I was familiar with and forcing myself into a really uncomfortable place in order to grow. And in hindsight, I had by no means mastered running a design studio. And I think coming back to it now, there's a lot of growth and learning that can happen within this setup. I didn't need to. Yeah. And granted, it wasn't, it wasn't so self-initiated. But having the experience, so opposite end of the pendulum has given me a lot of perspective around um, growth doesn't have to look like such intense change, it can just be pulling back and re-examining on the situation that you're in. And my pulling back and re-examining was a, a real pendulum swing in a different direction. So does it change? You, the first thing you said was the the value, the value of the work you're doing, the value of how much you should be paid. What do you mean when you say that all of the above? <laughs> I mean, interestingly, a lot of my initial involvement with Pizza Donay was doing the work that I did for clients for years of branding and, and creative direction, marketing, tone of voice, visual design, even this was the first time doing interior design for an entire space from the ground up. So able to apply my experience before starting this graphic design and interior design and doing elevations and floor plans and specifying materials. So it was really a creative involvement. And I think through the process of not only doing that branding, but then running the business and seeing how much branding plays a role in the success and marketing and connection with your community and customers firsthand has given me such perspective on the value of the work that we do as designers and that it's so much more than just aesthetics, which I think I've been harping on for a long time. But now having that firsthand experience of being in the ring, so to speak, I feel like it's making me come back to this 
place of doing branding, also understanding and being on the client side. I've run a business. I've built a business. I get it. This work is really important and figuring out your mm-hmm. why and figuring out who are you serving and what problem are you solving for them without those questions answered, I'd say you're going to get, yeah, you're going to be lost really quick. If I look back at sort of my own experience in the small business, entrepreneurial startup consulting world, and I see what's happened in branding. So let's just go (laughs) over the course of the last 20 years. I would say branding and that business strategy consulting have really morphed. It used to be a very, a much more distinct thing where the consultant would help the business or help strategize for the business. Like, okay, let's bring in a branding person. We need the colors. We need the logo. We need, we need the customer experience to sort of match all of these things. We need the physicality of the building, the, the layout, what, whatever it is, the box, whatever it is, to all be part of this cohesive look. And what's happened is I think brand has become so vital to, and, and, and because we're consuming at such a fast sp- pace and seeing things at such a fast pace, that there's no room for us to not consider brand as integrated into the business. I mean, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and she bought some new mascara that she loves and she's like, oh, I can't stand the brand. And I was like, that is hilarious. I don't think we would have heard that 20 <laughs> years ago, right? Yeah. It's very I mean, different. Even being, yeah, 100% even being in this world, I laugh at how I'm also susceptible to that same thing. It's such a psychology that happens yeah. with it. You're enjoying products more because of the brand experience attached yeah. to it. Yeah. And then even dictated by pricing. We were looking mm-hmm. for um, a quick getaway for our family. And I was like, oh, that can't be good. It's not the right price. Oh, this is unreachable. This is like way out of our budget. It's probably insane. Like it's amazing. And I had created in my head an experience based on the way it was branded, based on the way it looked, the aesthetics of what I was seeing online and in their social media. It's like, I'm a sucker. I know better. And I'm a sucker (laughs) for these things. So the value, when you talk about the value, it's all of that. It's that that whole thing. What would you say um, in terms of the clients that you'll take on now with Marbury 2.0? What will you what will you kind of gravitate toward, and what will you say? Mm, that's not that's not the kind of client I want to work with. Whether it's the size, whether it's the industry, whatever. Yeah, I think for the most part, I had already been working with small businesses and obviously more so now that's holding a special place in my heart, especially through this Mm. past year that we've all experienced and the lack of support happening on a government level. Like I have so much credit, especially for the brick and mortar establishments around this country, having to navigate this largely on their own, supporting people that are really building something from the ground up and sacrificing a lot of themselves to do that. And ultimately, it's not even, there's not a lot of reward happening firsthand. It's really you're giving, giving, giving to the customers and your community and creating products or spaces or food or what have you to make other people happy and and feel good. So it's a really uh, noble thing. And I think I'll continue to gravitate towards working with small businesses. I think businesses that have a, are rooted in values and you know, have a, I'd say charitable bend to it. It doesn't have to be outwards, I think. Um, I think that's another thing that's brought to light this past year. You could be supporting communities in a, in a quiet way. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be leveraged for marketing purposes. So I think just having some mindfulness around the, the community they're working within and how their business is serving people and being very community consumer minded, I think is important to me. Going back to that comment I made a little while ago around like, what is the problem you're solving for your customers? I know that's tough for a lot of, especially creative entrepreneurs to answer. Sometimes creative expression for them is the root of their business, but I would ask them to reframe that into, it can be a passion project, but still how is it serving an end user? If it's not answering the question for them or solving a problem for them, why should they Come to you, you know? Sure. Which is back to that, like, again, this is, this is where the marriage of like, 
the small business strategy consultant comes, I wouldn't even say small business, I would say business strategy comes in and the brands, people like you who are working in that brand space are owning that more and more. I think it's right. I think that integration is right. We probably asked you in the first podcast, did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Did you know you wanted to work for yourself? You had worked for a a firm before. Mm -hmm. And if I remember, wasn't there a a woman that like had sort of mentored you or was there was my, I'd say my first boss boss out of college was really wonderful. I'd say she mentored me in regards to like honing an eye. Yeah for aesthetics and, and sense of beauty and seeing beauty in really subtle ways. And so I would say that is still very much with me had worked. Yeah. Worked for her for a good chunk at, as an interior designer. And then took the leap, I was doing a lot of computer work for her drafting elevations, marketing layout. She gave me a lot of creative room for growth and got really interested in being behind the computer, which led me to graphic design. Yeah. That itch was there pretty early on. I took a leap very prematurely in hindsight. I was only 24 and I didn't know what I was doing. Granted, I had my stakes were a lot lower at that time. Yeah. So I could, I could flounder and be broke and make a lot of mistakes and work through them. But yeah, I think that that desire, it's almost like if it's in you, you got to just pursue it. And then the longer you go down the entrepreneurial journey, there's no going back. I joke with my husband. We're, I'm like, we're completely unhireable. At this point, we've worked so long for ourselves that you got to keep going. It's uh, That's very true. I understand that intimately. Yes. Um, <laughs> when you think about kind of the things that you've learned through not just the adjustments that you're making at Marbury to do the work that you want to do and to give yourself some grace to go back into that space in a different way. But when you think about the lessons you've learned with Pizza Donay and how that informs what you will or won't do at Marbury or how it just informs the way you want to work, what are some of the takeaways there? It's interesting. I would say first and foremost, and I'm just speaking for myself here, that I am not cut out for restaurant management. That became really clear very fast. I would say that was specific to the industry, not Mm. necessarily the role. I'm not opposed to growing to the place of managing a team. Actually, that sounds very exciting to me, but in a world that I feel home in. Mm-hmm. And I did not feel home in the mm-hmm. in the food industry just because it was so foreign and different. And I also definitely realized how innate my introverted and empathic nature is. And that environment, I would say, is not conducive to... No supporting that or it was very jarring very jarring for me and it was easy for me to look at those qualities as weaknesses and Mm. I think having some space from it now I I very much view them as strengths as something that is of great value for connecting with people and understanding people and supporting people which is essentially the work I'm doing with Marbury yeah so it, it was a lot of learning about myself through the pain of doing something that crazy and different. Yeah. I have been asking this question lately uh, in interviews, which is like kind of what has entrepreneurship taught you personally about yourself? You know, for me, I find that it's been, uh, and this sounds a little woo-woo, but I actually really mean it, somewhat of a spiritual experience. It's sort of expanded my, the way I look at myself, the way I look at myself in the world, the, the space I take up, the space I don't take up. Um, what am I here to do? What what do I feel compelled to do? What is my purpose? And it morphs as the business grows and expands and contracts and pivots and shifts. Those things change. But it has very much been a teacher for me. It's been a, a vessel. Yeah. What is that for you? What would you say that's been to date for you? Because we're not done. We're still growing. Yeah, I think the experience of the pizzeria opening of brick and mortar, I would say definitely compounded by it opening it three months before the start of a pandemic, yeah. not knowing it could the worst possible time to open a, a business was so intense. And to be frank, painful, that it stripped away a lot of BS for me. And mm. I think I didn't have the energy to maintain this sort of people-pleasing, constant positivity that I think I was able to before moving up here and going into this venture, that it unearthed 
kind of piggybacking on what you're talking about, unearthed this more authentic version of myself mm -hmm. that I feel very grateful now looking at this experience. I'm not sure that would have come out on its own without being tested so intensely that now I feel like I can't really go back. It's like I want to show up authentically in everything that I do. And I yeah. don't have the energy anymore. I still feel like we're navigating, you know, this crazy year is, is ongoing. And perhaps this is a, a universal experience for most don't have the energy to sort of go back to that previous way of, of being for me. I think that translates to setting boundaries. I learned really quick that you can't people please in a, in a restaurant setting, you'll kill yourself trying. There's always <laughs> yeah. going to be people walking off the street with opinions about everything under the sun and trying to accommodate every single, like you really have to be rooted in, you know, this is what we're doing and we want to make people happy, but it has to be within reason. So yeah. I think I've carried that over into other aspects of life now. And I think that sort of goes back to that feeling of value that, the more you can be rooted in your value as an individual and what you're bringing to the table, the easier it is to set boundaries around that and self-respect and all those kinds of things. Sure. It will be interesting. We'll do another podcast with you in a few years. But it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how that informs leaning or putting pressure on your clients when you're asking those why questions. It will be really interesting to press even more into who are you as the founders authentically? What is the brand authentically? Who is it serving? And how, when those people, the customers show up authentically, like what are they getting from you? Like it's really, it will be a paradigm shift for you is my guess, right? Doing the same work, going back to the same work, but just right. with a, a whole new lens or through a whole yeah, new lens. Yeah, I think it's brought to light also my interest in things like aesthetics are often associated with this sort of surface level in, in every sense of the word. And I, I'm not a surface level person. I'm a very one-on-one -on -one, crave depth, mm -hmm. crave difficult conversations, want to support the people around me. So yeah, that craving is, is being brought into the business now too. I think in the past, I maybe would have dismissed a client that really flippantly answered those questions. This is just designer. This is just X. Um, and I didn't have the confidence to push back and say, but really what's going on here? Because there is an element of, it's like business therapy, you know, like let's force yeah. you to answer these harder questions. And that involves a, a deep dive on their behalf that I didn't always have the confidence to push back on. And I could definitely say in hindsight, those projects were not as successful as a result. So knowing that the success of the outcome is contingent on them. Sure. It also, I think- uh, ends up informing the customer, the person you're serving at, through Marbury. It gives them longevity in hanging in there when times are tough and because their why is so crystal clear. And we understand that. We've heard that. There are books written on it. We get it. But there's something about when you really press into that and it's not just a one word or one sentence answer, you can sort of sustain and buoy yourself through a pandemic or through whatever, because you have a sense of what you're focused on doing versus a, a focus on the outcome. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd say it's really easy to throw in the towel, yes. especially this last year. Yes. many have pivoted during this pandemic, we too have shifted to meet the needs of our growing community of female founders. We want to use this podcast conversation as a starting point for deeper dialogue and to connect you to the resources, tools, and tips shared within these interviews. Please join us on the Liberty Network to connect, collaborate, and keep talking. And a few other perks in the Liberty Network, join our monthly virtual Mentor Monday meetups, create and share your profile with the whole community, and access a brain trust of entrepreneurial women, all for free. To join the conversation, head to libertyforher.com. That's L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R.com. And click on the bar at the top of the homepage that says, Join the Liberty Network. So 
let's, as we talk about pivoting, let's pivot into kind of the second part of the conversation where we like to take advantage of having experts and women who've, who've been there and done that uh, to, to pick their brains a little bit. So you're different because in this season of interviews, because most of the conversations we've had are really based on two things within the pivoting sort of theme. One series of interviews has been focused on how has the pandemic, economically speaking, forced you to shift your business. The other one is kind of more things that were born of changes or shifts in business that were born of the racial unrest and reckoning. And did it force you to consider sort of a DEI framework? Did it force you to think about how you market and speak and include people that don't look and act and believe the, you know, the things that you, the way you do or the things that you believe. And yours is unique because this has nothing to do with the pandemic. Now, I'm sure a lot of your learnings through it were as a result of the pandemic, but you started the pizza company with your husband having nothing to do with the pandemic and you're returning to Marbury having nothing to do with the pandemic, directly speaking. If somebody's talking to you and seeking some advice on sort of what should they consider before jumping towards something or back into something, what what would you ask them or what would you say to them in terms of any advice? I think probably just ask them what is the desire behind the leap, if it is thought out and proactive versus reactive. I think especially the leap into something completely different, I would sort of piggybacking on what we just talked about. Is that out of a large desire, passion, um, feeling like you can solve somebody's problems with this change? Or is it because you're totally burnt out and exhausted? And I was thinking about this a lot the past month that we tend to romanticize mm. this sort of alternative life fantasy. Like yeah. everybody has one. I have one. You probably have one. Yeah. You're probably in another country doing something really analog and romantic sounding and enjoying life more. And I learned through this experience that there is no magical, perfect alternative career. Every, you know, to the upsides, there's going to be equal amount of downside. So just understanding, you know, what is the catalyst for the shift and dipping a toe in potentially before diving in head first is something I would advise if there's a way that you can involve yourself in that world, especially if it's something totally opposite of what you're doing now. Sure. And get a feel for what it's, yeah, what it's really like, because you can only project or anticipate so much from afar. Sure. Sure. And if you just start, even if it's a side thing, if you just start, if you just kind of Stop analyzing it, but do that dipping the toe in the water. You'll learn, I think, more quickly. I think a lot of people in the analyzing, in the business planning, in the in the forecasting, in the dreaming up or journaling, it's it becomes more romanticized. It becomes this thing that if only I were here. And often that's that's not the case. Right. I want to jump to something we were talking about when you are talking with clients and you're helping them to press into that why, what are the things that you ask them to inform the work that you're doing? What are you asking them? What are you trying to pull from them? And maybe those could be three things that our listeners could, with or without hiring you full-time, could start to consider for themselves. Yeah, I think why does your business exist, as simple as that sounds, is a big one. I can understand starting from a place of complete passion and self-interest, but the, especially as being somebody who who started a business that way, if it's going to sustain itself, it has to be serving a community, growing a community, having a community support it in return. There has to be a give and take with a customer, I guess, unless you're like a, a independent artist or something. So why does your business exist? And the one I always, the biggest one is what problem are you solving for mm. your customer? Mm. And then a, a really important one, especially when it comes to design to me is like create a persona out of your ideal customer. Who are they? Where do they live? Where do they, what's right. their vocation, ethnicity, socioeconomics, 
place within the world. What, um, where are they shopping? What is the music they're listening to? Like you can have fun with it. And I know there's a lot of big corporations that sort of have this imaginary persona that they're always siphoning decision-making through would so-and-so buy this? Would they resonate with this? Would they consume this? Would this help them in their life as a mother, daughter, friend, what have you? So I think that's a fun exercise to to also think about. So you have that touch point all the time when yep. you're, otherwise it's so easy, especially these days to get lost in the comparison paralysis of other people that are doing the same thing, going after the same audience, seem to be excelling at rates that are, you know, everything can be perceived through the internet as looking like you're falling behind and, and without being rooted in that, well, this is what I'm doing and I know I'm going to get there or and I'm serving the customers in the way I desire and speaking my truth or showing up authentically, like at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for. So yeah, having that, that groundedness in your business, I think is really critical, especially these days. It's so easy to get lost without it. Yeah, I agree. I was having a moment, I don't know, a few weeks ago and being frustrated with not being able to spend intentional time on social media and doing exactly what you're talking about, looking at who I would consider our competition to be and just being like, oh my gosh, like how, how is this possible? And then I realized if I start to chase numbers on social media, my business becomes chasing numbers. Whatever you're pouring your time into is what's going to advance. And it's ridiculous that at my age, that was an aha, but it was, it was like, oh, that's not the business I want to be in. That's not, right. that's not what I want to do. And so from that point saying, okay, the work that I want to do, the work that I want to be about is, is very different. How do we make that be its best? How do we elevate that to the best that it can be? And whoever likes that and whoever wants that and whoever needs that and whoever that serves, that's who we want to be talking to. That's the right. business I want to be focused on. So I think to your point, we all we all need to do that. We all need to get back to that. And I love that avatar exercise that you mentioned. Like, who is she? Who, you know, who do we want to serve? How old is she? What's her favorite pastry? <laughs> Those right. sorts of things. I love doing that exercise. So in moving from California, where you were your whole life, where you had a client base, where you had a community, connections, other female entrepreneurs that you could sort of lean into, have conversations with, meet for coffee. You move away, you go 100% into opening a restaurant, a pandemic hits, there is no opportunity except for the guy who just ordered the slice of pizza to really (laughs) engage in community. Now, as you open up Marbury, you are probably rethinking, even in a digitized world where, of course, you can have clients but often it's that human connection where we meet people and we get referred and things like that. How do you anticipate, because I know so many listeners are dealing with this, how do you anticipate putting yourself in front of that new client base and building that community for yourself? And how much of perhaps your old clients will you sort of re-engage people that you left behind in LA? Because it's not, it's not work that requires being in person. It's all work that right. you can do online. right. This is a great question because I think still being in this pandemic until we're on the other side of it, mm. I don't know how much this will change. I do feel very lucky in the sense that, yeah, I left behind an amazing group of women that I feel will be lifelong friends that are all in the creative community. And finally, because of the pandemic, they haven't even seen each other, even if they're a few yeah. miles away. It's true. So it's true, yeah been nice to still feel connected to them and it's like I could be anywhere I could be down the street in Pasadena or I could be in Portland so maintaining those connections has been a massive blessing granted I, I've really only had a window of re- fostering and reconnecting I look at the past year as literally a black vortex of yeah no yeah no options for connection with a community beyond the pizzeria but I think at this point there were some initial connections I made when I moved up here through social media and a lot of other creatives who had moved here from maybe New York where there's yeah. so much happening with, with Nike up here that a lot of people have transplanted. Um, yeah, exactly. So I, I've only recently started to reach back out to those initial connections and 
work towards fostering some semblance of community, but I, I see it being slow, a slow build. I think in hindsight, I definitely took it for granted in, in Los Angeles, having a lifetime of accumulated relationships sometimes could feel really overwhelming for an, an introvert. Now having almost none. Yeah, I absolutely am missing that. So I hope to maintain and then build off of it here. And the nice thing actually has been most of the connections we have made in community we do have is by virtue of the pizzeria. So meeting other couples who have started restaurants, bakeries, coffee shops up here that are also navigating the same issues and problems and challenges has been massive. And also having this entrepreneurial perspective in a totally different world is really nice. I feel my network is very concentrated in design, lifestyle, branding, creative industry, and expanding it up here into something totally different has been a nice way to change perspective a little bit. Right. I wonder if Marbury's going to have its very own like specialized service in from the ground up branding and design services for uh, the restaurant business. Like. <laughs> I wonder if that's oh going to be the outcome of this, like you having spent <laughs> that year and then all these relationships with people who are couples opening restaurants. It's a nice niche to be in. There's there's a lot you yeah. can do in that space. But I don't, I don't know if that's totally. what you want. You're like, yeah, stop talking about that. <laughs> that's not what I want. Maybe, right with a little, maybe with a little space. It could be fun. I Yeah. yeah. And you had done it's some of that good. here in LA. There were some. A bit, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. worked with Botanica. Yes, in, in that's who I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah, that'll be interesting. We'll watch. We'll watch from afar and see where <laughs> that goes. I'm just looking really quickly. We've talked about a lot of things and I want to make sure I get all my questions in. But I think one of the things that I'm curious about for the sake of our listener is going back to this idea of when somebody is ready to make a decision to shift where they currently are or to go back to something that they used to inhabit in whatever way. What what would you say is the right reason to jump? And what would you say is a, the wrong reason? Yeah, I think what I was mentioning around the romanticization of, mm. I guess grass is greener is probably the best way to describe it. Believing that if I, it's sort of a fight or flight. Like, are you operating in, in fight or flight where the flight is, you know, screw this, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing the towel over here is going to be so much better. It's going to be easier. I'm going to, you know, this romanticization is, I feel like, the best way. I, idealizing a, a mm-hmm. life out of exhaustion from the current one to me might hit some roadblocks when the tire hits the pavement, kind of thing of like the reality of this is equally hard or harder than what, yeah. I, what I was running away from. So just being mindful of where the desire to leap is coming from maybe you just need a break yeah. as simple as that sounds we're just so programmed to be going 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 at a pace that's not sustainable and I think as a result it leads a lot of us to feeling like I've hit the ball I got to get out of this and do something totally different I can't do this anymore funnily it's kind of a tangent but the amount of young people that came into the pizzeria and would say to us this is my dream. This is my dream. One day I'm going to do this. This is how I would love to open a pizzeria or a, right. a restaurant or what have you. And I would be like, if you only knew, <laughs> if you only knew. It's, I didn't know until we were in it how sure. how hard and crazy and demanding and nonstop it is Yeah. that, yeah, I think I would probably tell someone to Really, I don't, I don't know. We're yeah, work in it. Work as a manager, maybe first before before jumping into ownership. And then on the flip side, I guess yeah, if you're really, I think if you feel like an innate, grounded, rooted desire towards, I think some of the best uh, startups I've seen in the past few years have been. I encountered this problem. I figured out a solution for it. It's mm-hmm. a problem other people are experiencing in my age or or demographic. I already know who would benefit from this. Let's do this. Yeah, I'm solving a problem I have, but I also know it's a universal problem. So kind of going back to that, how are you? What are you solving for? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Something you said early on that I think is an important one too, that I would say, yes, pivot, pivot if you've gathered this information and jump if this is where you're coming from, which is when you talked about your strengths. 
I think oftentimes we look at our weaknesses and we say, I just have to work harder. I just have to work longer. I just have to gain more expertise. I just have to kind of pony up. Like it's, you know, I just have to whatever. And they operate out of a place of deficit uh, versus um, what I think this time has taught you, which is it wasn't a lack of that exhausted you within the restaurant industry. It was a not leaning into your strengths. Like what if we were informed by our strengths? What if we were, because you can open a coffee shop and decide that I want to be, you know, front facing all about the customer. That's I'm super extroverted. I'm that person. I am naturally positive all the time. That's what I want to do. And I'm going to scaffold for the kind of back of house activity. Flip that around and say, I'm, I want to have a coffee shop, but I am not that person. So in order for me to start that thing, operating out of my strengths, I'm a back of house person. I'm operationally minded. I love coffee and tasting coffee and curating coffee and creating the menu and those things. But I'm not a front of house host, you know, type personality. So in order for me to do this, I have to I have to create. I have to have enough money. I have to have whatever it's going to take. Find a partner that can be that other piece. And so I I think for some people, it's actually not the industry. It's not necessarily even the work you're doing. It's just the role you're playing within it. That's a really great way to look at it. I like that a lot because I think there's part of me right now embodying a narrative of there's definitely lines of work better suited for some personalities than others, yeah. which I do believe to be true. But to your point, maybe it's just about finding support in the areas that don't feel great. And, and acknowledging, yeah, where your strengths are, because there was obviously something fueling your desire to get into that in the first place, whether it's yeah. the product or the community connection element. So really running with that and then getting people to fill in those blanks. Yeah. Um, because I can still look at the pizzeria and I'm like, I love doing the marketing for it. I love creating graphics and type layouts and thinking about our language and how are we going to serve the community. So there's still passion within it. It's just not working in the day-to-day grind. Yeah. The the restaurant industry is just notoriously difficult. I think it takes a really specific kind of person who just, who thrives in that. Um, By the way, before I forget, we're waiting for you guys to, and you can tell Justin, I said this, to find a way to deliver those back to LA. (laughs) So as soon as you guys figure that out, we know some takers. So last question on this end is just what would you want to leave our listeners with in terms of entrepreneurial advice? Like, hey, if there's one thing I could pass along to you, all of you who are in in the muck and mire, especially after this difficult year. And and I say this difficult year, we're we're still in it. 2021 has found ways to trump 2020. Never mind that we're also exhausted. And even though we can see a bright, shiny spot at the end of the tunnel. It's it's still, we're sort of like, you know, dragging our feet to get to the other side. What would you want to say to them? What would you want them to, yeah, to hear from to, you? To your point, I really fear a little bit that we're not even giving, like our lives have been limited in the past year. So I think there is this, oh, let's get back to it. And as soon as it's back, let's go full hog. And, yeah. and I don't know that we're giving much, credit to our physical, mental, emotional toll of this past year. And it's okay if you're not running full speed or ready to run full speed. Chances are you still need some, you know, take a breather. Um, It's okay to be moving at a slower pace, even if there's this, I got to catch up. We got to get back to how things were. I would hope there had been some perspective gained in the past year around it's okay to pause and reprioritize how you're approaching your business because I would say it's a marathon not a sprint yes and and as early as possible figure out a way to make it sustainable for yourself and so it still feels enjoyable it still feels fluid there's room to grow and change and not beat yourself up when you don't get it right right out of the gate because um I think I mentioned previously the test and change 
is the two words I can use to sum up entrepreneurship. It's like you're going to fumble, you're going to screw up, people are going to be upset with you, you might lose a client or a customer or get a bad review or what have you. It's part of the process of learning and choosing to do this crazy path of of entrepreneurship. We did an interview, I think it's the last one we did a, a week or so ago, and she said, the quote was, get comfortable with failure. And I thought, oh I my that. gosh, yes. It, it was a question I'm about to ask you, but kind of what is that trait that an entrepreneur must possess? And she's like, you've got to get comfortable with failure. And on one hand, I was like, oh yeah, that's good because that's what you're going to be up against constantly, like failing and getting back up and starting over again. And I also thought, that's sort of on the like, just to sustain yourself, you you need to get comfortable with that. But on the other side, on the kind of bright and positive side, it was like, if you're not comfortable with failure, you're not thinking outside of the box, you're not innovating, you're not bringing anything new to the table. So it becomes necessary for so many reasons, again, not just to sustain your yourself and your your ego and your emotions through it all, but also for the sake of innovating or innovation. Right. Yeah. Right. I think about that quote that's like, if people don't hate you, you're not doing something right. Yeah. It, it's yeah. like a successful business is likely polarizing. It, it's got its tribe of followers and then people that are really right. a no. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. So before we let you go, by the way, is it sunny up there or is it rainy? No, it's, I mean, the weather up here flips on a dime. So I feel like every day you have to be prepared for sweating rain, sometimes hail. (laughs) It's currently, yeah, currently a little cloudy. Well, we're having a little, I think it's breaking through now. It looks like it's sunny, but it was a little bit Portlandish earlier. It was a a little bit, um, a little bit gray. But before we let you go, I just want to ask you the art, what we call our fast five. They've changed a little bit from the first, first time you did this. So back to what I was just sharing, what is the number one trait that you believe an entrepreneur must possess? Like can't, can't not have this. Yeah, I would say grit. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good one. If you didn't have it pre-COVID, I bet you, <laughs> bet you got <laughs> a good dose of it. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and then what's an app that you use? And it can be a phone app or software on your computer, but that you're using to sort of organize yourself whether it's something you used with Pizza Donay or something that you're using with Barbary? Yeah, the one that stayed with me for, gosh, long, long, long time, Todoist is a is a favorite. I use it for the pizzeria. I use it for, for personal. It's just a long-running categorized list, list of things because if I don't write it down, I won't remember yes. it. No, it's so true. I'm the same. Like If it's not in my phone, it's not in right. my life. It's not happening. It dictates <laughs> everything. And then when, as soon as you had money, we'll talk about, maybe you can answer this, one for Pizza Donay and one for Marbury and go back to Marbury 1.0. As soon as you guys had a little bit of money in the pizza restaurant or the in Pizza Donay, what was the first thing you hired for? Outside of employees? Outside, well, outside of the two of you. Maybe it was an employee. Maybe it was just literally yeah, somebody Im- to... Immediately it was it was a team of employees. So I would say in a ideal space we have about five people okay employed on staff there there's so much to do on any given day it's it required to open the doors need employees it was never a two-person shop right what about professional services maybe i'll ask it that way professional i feel like it might be the same answer for both with with bookkeeping okay tends to be the the number one that's a tough one because you want to hand everything off but it's so important. It's imperative for you to know everything that's going on in the business, especially when you're first starting right. out and to be informed by margins and to be informed by cost of goods sold. And you really need to work closely with that person, even when you're like, yes, here, take it all. Right. I never want to see it again. It yeah. ends up being really important data. A hundred percent. I would say there is very much a, it's a 50-50 approach <laughs> with the bookkeeper. <laughs> A lot of collaborating going on. Good, 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 good. Good to know you're still in the game. Is it you or is it Justin that's managing that? Um, I'm managing it for now, kind of doing all the back end. He's very much in the pizzeria at all times. So I'm handling all of the sort of HR, payroll, bookkeeping, marketing, computer stuff. Wow. 
It doesn't sound like you're totally out. It sounds like you're very much still in. Um, and then this question I say is the hardest one we have, red vines or Twizzlers? That's so funny. Neither. <laughs> you're only the second person that said that. Another person was like, I don't eat candy or something, which I was like, I can't oh, talk to you anymore. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I have nothing in common with candy. you. <laughs> but you don't like, I no, no licorice. No licorice for Jessica. You know... Maybe I need to revisit because I okay. absolutely love fennel and black oh, licorice candy so or yeah. anise. So maybe yeah. I just need to give it another go. It's been probably 20 plus years okay. since I've okay. had a Twizzler. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to take you out of like the gourmet licorice, black licorice <laughs> scene to have a, a red okay. vine or a Twizzler. You can just stay right there. And then you know this and you've been again a guest before, but the brand is Liberty for Her. We are all about empowering women, liberating women to live their purpose and their entrepreneurial dream. What does Liberty mean for you? To me, I would say showing up authentically and not mm. with no apology attached to it. What a lovely ending to what you started with. Like that's exactly where we go right back to the top. It's like a really good comedian when they, cir when they circle the joke back. <laughs> that was great. Um, I appreciate so much that you've shown up authentically for us here. Thank you, Jessica. Oh, it's such a treat to see your face. Liberty well, listeners, likewise. if you want to watch this Zoom, we will have it. At the end of the season, we'll be putting up all of our Zoom interviews in the Liberty Network. So sign up if you haven't. It's free. And you'll be able to see Jessica, the white around her eyes when she, when she made those faces <laughs> and, and see her brilliant smile. Jessica, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Netta. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. And Liberty listeners, we will talk to you guys next week. For now, bye. Liberty For Her is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty For Her on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty For Her is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham, and music by Jordan Flower. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 